just I was just thinking of Anchorman where he's like, ah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh! The, hu- the human torch took a bank loan. <laughs> I fucking love that. <laughs> okay, I'm done. The human torch was denied a, a bank, bank loan. loan. <laughs> They're going like, and he's still like screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should have a count in. No, it's no. Welcome to Casting Light. I'm your host Debbie. We have Daniel here. What's up? We kept forgetting to introduce Doug. I realized when you did it, I was like, we didn't, we never did introduce Doug, but Doug's back there. Hi, Doug. And we have Victor. Hello. All right, Victor, tell us a little bit about you. I'm a client here at Guiding Light. I don't like that we're called clients because whenever I think of the word client, it means that somebody's paying for something. Or at least in my history, whenever I had clients, they were customers or people who paid for um, goods or services. Okay. And what's happening here for me is free, so... but. From a clinical sense, I guess I'm a client. <laughs> it's, it's just a word we use. Yeah. Say that I, again. Try, I try not to use the word client because I, uh, I agree with you. I'm not a huge yeah. fan of it. It's Should I say resident? I, I, I usually say like community member. I'm a community oh, okay. member here. Yeah. You weren't sure where I was going to go with that. Where did you, Debbie? No, I really, I was like, <laughs> I don't know what you call it. <laughs> I think community member fits pretty well. I mean, that's kind of what we do yeah. here. Yeah. I'm a community member here at Guiding Light. I do really like that. I always mm-hmm. say client, I think, because I have a clinical background, mm-hmm. so everything is always clients. But you're right. It is yeah. like it is kind of different. And we do talk about community a lot. So community member does probably make yeah. more sense than client anyway. Yeah, coming from more of a man of the people situation and not of a clinical sense, because mm-hmm. I like to connect with people instead of just diagnosing them. Yeah. So I'm happy to be part of this, this yeah. community. <laughs> I just love this show. <laughs> How I've missed you. <laughs> so Victor, how did you how did you get to where you are now? I mean, I know that's I know that's a large question. Yeah. But when you say where you are now, do you mean where I am uh 4 months into the program or when I came into the program? It's a good question. Cuz a huge difference. Yeah. Uh there's been uh, nearly 4 months since I've been here and the significant changes have happened to me, internal changes. So uh, if I describe where I am now at this very moment, I got here because um, how did I get here? I got here simply by being open to all of the gifts that were available to me. How, how did you get to a point that you wanted to come into Guiding Light? Like, what's the story leading up to that? Well, I think that uh, I recognize that... Um, I'd been in trouble before. When I say in trouble, I mean uh, out of options and feeling despondent and uh, hopeless. But being in trouble this time and think about the solutions that I've tried before, I just didn't see any hope uh, trying that again. So Guiding Um, Light is normally a substance abuse rehabilitation program. mm -hmm. And you're in recovery, but Mm -hmm. you've been in recovery for four years now, correct? In fact, uh, in six days, I'll have five years of what I like to call abstinence. Right. uh, Sobriety. So why would you want to come here? Because 
Well, the, I hate the it shortest here. answer. <laughs> the shortest answer is that I was a dry drunk, and so people who know what that is uh, will will quickly grasp it. But um, if if alcoholism or addiction doesn't really actually have that much to do with the substance that we're putting mm -hmm. into our body, but it has more to do uh, with uh, core beliefs and our um, our spiritual condition and um, our characters, flaws, and so on, then I was very much an alcoholic still, you know, very much uh, in my disease. Uh, I found that I was still having a very difficult time keeping my word with people, that I was disappointing people all the time. And um, one example that's hard for me to talk about, but I think really brought it to light to me is that I didn't make it to my own son's wedding you know and that was something that he and I had both you know thought about since he was young the one day I was you know going to be there and see him uh, marry his bride and um, I was uh, too depressed and my life was too unmanageable for me to travel uh, to Texas and see my own son be married and uh, that was a point where I hit bottom and it was, uh, I hit a second bottom without having to drink. Mm. But I yeah. knew that things were bad enough for me, uh, you know, four months ago that I was either going to go back to drinking or I was considering ending my life. So um, when I came to the front door at Guiding Light, I hoped that the staff here would see that I was just as broken as somebody who who had just gone through detox, you know, yeah. who, had, who was just coming out of the throes of wrestling with uh, any other addiction because I was experiencing a lot of the same um, symptoms, I guess. So most of the people that we've had on so far have been mm -hmm. our age. Okay. Um, a when little, you say your age, younger. you mean in their 30s, early 30s? Late teens. Late teens. <laughs> I will be 30 in August. I'm older than you? Yeah. Oh. That's that actually. I, that, I imagine the two of you to sense. be in a, your early thirties. I don't know. All three of you, I guess. Yes, thank you. Thanks. I don't know what that. I don't know what that means either. It's because but we have so much wisdom. That's mm -hmm. something like that. <laughs> but so he's right. The so, wisdom part. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's. We've had mostly young younger people. Yeah. Uh, do this podcast with us so far, and we're slightly younger people and i'm actually starting to realize that maybe we're not there's younger people than us now too but what's it been like as see so what how old are you when you got sober when i got sober i or was abstinence or however you yeah it. well it was 2017 so i was 54 years old 54 years old um recently more more men have come into the program uh, that are closer to my age. You know, mm -hmm. the program usually has young men in the 20s and 30s. Mm -hmm. And uh, one guy said something to me this morning that really kind of was, was good to hear. He said, you know, we're proof that you can still teach an old dog new tricks. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I like that, you know, and then that uh, hope for, I think when a man gets to be close to 60 and he's struggled with addiction and uh and issues like that over his life he could easily just say why don't i just finish my life out this way you know yeah uh, i only got a couple decades to live anyway uh at least according to what people tell us the average age of a man is so um but i went from 
thinking, when, when can I be done mm-hmm. to how long can I have still? So mm-hmm. I, I see myself as somebody who really wants to make something out of these next two decades. And, um, wow. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I've had bursts of uh, confidence, or if you look uh, across my life, you might see that I had some successes, but they weren't sustainable. And uh, they were mostly performance, what I would call performance-based. It was me just trying harder, you know, and uh, and uh, gritting my teeth and white-knuckling it. And I was never comfortable with myself, never really felt... Um, um, well, I, had a, I really struggled with shame. I struggled with shame and felt I was defective at the core. So uh, I could only have uh, success for a period of time before people would discover that I was, you know. So what was the immediate imposter. situation? And I promise we're not going to harp on the past or anything like that. But like, what was the immediate circumstances that led you to wanting to pick up the phone and try to get in here? Well... Um, I picked up the phone while I was at the Robert Brown Crisis Housing um, in Holland. That was a place where people can go who have talked about, you know, suicidal ideation and so on. So I had been there for three days, and uh, before that, there there had been a knock at my door, my bedroom door, from a police officer who was doing a welfare check, and. Uh, they said, we want to see if you're okay. And I said, I'm fine. And they said, well, we need you to open the door so we can see that you are fine, you know. Mm-hmm. And when I opened the door, I just, what they saw was somebody who hadn't showered for four or five days, somebody who had been eating beans out of a can and uh, hadn't responded to texts or phone calls, hadn't even turned on a TV, didn't even know what the weather was like outside. And this was the second time this winter that I had done this. The first time was about 18 days long that I completely isolated. So I was uh, lost in my mind. And when I was at Robert Brown, Guiding Light came to my mind again. I think I had made a call to Guiding Light a while back, but there was some things going on with a program that had ended, a back-to-work program that had ended, and there was COVID issues, and I I didn't invest a lot of energy into that. But this time, I really wanted to, to see if I could get in. I, I have to ask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in these bits of depression... Why didn't you drink? Uh, I think it, I think that uh, the twelve-step program that I'm involved in was what kept me from drinking. Uh, the, I did go to meetings regularly, at least until um, two months before I came here to Guiding Light, and I did have some fellowship with people there. I did have a sponsor. I was even beginning to sponsor some people, so the program did uh, that for me. Um, I think I also knew that if I went back to drinking, it would it would very shortly after lead to death. You know, I I just knew that I didn't have another um, another binge in me. You know. Yeah, there's I've. It's it's not an uncommon story that I've heard in recovery for for people getting sober at some point in their life and then at some point ending their life, succumbing mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. mental health issues and, and mm-hmm. depression and the they lost the fight with with depression and yeah. it's just one of those interesting cases of like how how crazy of an idea is that though that somebody can find sobriety and still uh-huh. be in a position where it's like i can't drink but i can't live yeah yeah 
Um, well, you know, and it confronts the assumption that as soon as we get sober, things will automatically get better for us. If, right. If, you yeah. know, if we had un underlying issues before. Yeah. In other words, was I... Was I an alcoholic as a result of uh, character issues and depression, or 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 did the other was it the other way around? And the truth is that I can remember myself feeling very depressed when I was nine or ten years old. Me too. And you know, I remember a lot of compulsive behaviors. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when I was younger, before I started drinking. So there's some underlying character and spiritual issues that were not being addressed. The so would you and everyone has differing opinions on this, but were you born an alcoholic or were you made into one? <laughs> I was, I was born with a propensity. That's how I like to say it. Uh, scientists tell us that there is some evidence that, uh, alcoholism is a disease that can be passed on from one generation to the next. And so if you looked at my background, my father was a chronic alcoholic who died of alcoholism mm -hmm. and his father was an alcoholic as well. So, um, that's not hard scientific, you know, data, but it, it certainly proves that out. Uh, and I avoided drinking for a long time because I didn't want to grow up to be like dad, you know, yeah. um, not realizing that dad's problem wasn't actually what was in the glass. It was mm -hmm. what was in here, you know? Well, so, it, it interestingly brings up like it's the nature versus nurture debate too, because they have this. Mm -hmm especially with things like addiction, because we have found that there are some mechanisms in the brain that are different yep. in people who have addiction, but we don't know if that's a learned thing. Mm -hmm. um, like if it's that you weren't taught other coping skills. Yeah, you well, know? definitely I was not. I mean, uh, I think the trauma does play a big role mm -hmm. in, in addiction. And so having a traumatic childhood um, might lead a young person to do things uh, to escape that trauma, mm -hmm. you know, and later on those things, uh, you know, we don't divorce ourselves up from them like we should. We just keep yeah. doing them and doing more of them and looking for other ways to, yeah. we become accustomed to avoiding feelings, you know. Yeah. It's, so I remember with, with DJ, cause D, DJ's a drinker, ex-drinker, <laughs> Doug's an ex-drinker, whatever you I'm call a drinker. <laughs> yeah. Um, like drugs were my main, dr drugs were my, yeah, my my escape, and as I think about, it, it's just interesting of how everyone finds the thing that works for them. So like, mm -hmm. I even I remember being in high school, and my mom, I would ask my mom to come pick me up, and you know she was prescribed medication because she had kidney stones, and she'd be like, Daniel, I just took a Vicodin, like I can't come pick you up right now, and I'm like, Yeah, mom, I took like ten, I don't want to walk home, like, yeah, and but it just affected her so differently. Like her her actual chemistry was she would get nauseous. Like mm -hmm. some people just. I, I couldn't, I could never understand why alcohol affected people the way that it did. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, but some other people would be like, I don't know why you like heroin. Mm -hmm. Never heard anyone say that, but, but I don't. <laughs> so why I, I like heroin. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, it's, it's just interesting of, and the same mm -hmm. thing, everyone finds a way to escape. Yeah. Yep. It's drugs. Drugs and alcohol are just insanely effective. Mm -hmm. They just also are insanely destructive. They're nice and quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a, a definition of addiction that really helped me out was uh, an addiction is a pathological relationship with a mood-altering experience. Mm. And I like the fact that the last word is experience, you know, mm. not substance. 
Uh, and that helped me understand how somebody could be addicted to going to the casino, you know, and gambling. I can never understand that. <laughs> right? Well, but the same thing is going on in their brain, the dopamine, the, all these changes that happen when we begin to, um, well, well, first of all, we're preoccupied with, with mood altering. Then we get into this ritual and we can't seem to snap out of it mm-hmm. until we do mm-hmm. finally act out. But it says a relationship a pathological relationship, a sick relationship with a mood-altering experience. I had a relationship with alcohol, you know? Yeah. And and it totally makes sense to me when, uh, like, a non-drinking spouse says, you choose, your, you choose heroin over me or you choose alcohol over me. Mm-hmm. It's really true. That person actually has a relationship with mm-hmm. that drug or that, um, that activity that supersedes and that's one of the things that all addictions do. They rob us of the intimacy that we're supposed to have with each other. I, I yeah. like the fact that you said ritual. Yeah. When when describing that that whole yeah. process, because I think that like some people might call it a lifestyle. There you can get really there are very specific rituals around the actual act of taking yeah. a drug or drinking or whatever mm-hmm. you might call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also the lifestyle that goes goes with it. And I think that that's yep. one of the areas of, of addiction and alcoholism that a lot of people at least don't on the front end of recovery Mm -hmm. consider yeah yeah of what it's really like to oh i'm used to going to the strip club and doing coke or i'm used to going to the bar every single night or or Mm -hmm. even i'm used to going into my basement and drinking myself to sleep Mm -hmm. and what that looks like yep when you're not doing that anymore like Mm -hmm. when the that excitement of just the lifestyle yeah gets taken away too and how ritualistic it is well, and it's it's interesting that you say that too because you describing like your life even when you were sober, yep. like not drinking anymore, mm-hmm. but that is the absence of any type of ritual. Well, that's true. You know, uh, like it, you yeah. you just you took away the drinking and you took away mm-hmm. everything else with yep. it. Interacting with people, having mm-hmm. a community, like, you know, yep. and I mean AA did mm-hmm. some of that but it's like you didn't take it out of aa yeah but i should say you know with aa i was was guarded still i wasn't mm-hmm. being 100 percent honest uh the the 12th step talks about us supplying these practices to all areas of our lives and so i i was okay with aa um with applying the principles of aa to my problem with alcohol but yep. I'm actually encouraged to apply, to surrender my will and my life completely, you know, and to apply these principles to all of my life. So I was still compartmentalizing life. I still was thinking, yeah. uh, I can handle this part of it. I'll turn the alcohol part over, you know, to, to AA. But this, there was things I didn't talk about with friends at AA that I should have been talking about, my financial problems, uh, my inability to, you know, follow through. I, I would try doing some contracting work, and then I'd have a customer that would be very upset for me with me because I didn't show up. And I these are things I should have been talking about with those mm-hmm. with those people at AA, and I was just too ashamed to, to discuss them, you know? I, I so. I love the, well, I actually don't love it. It drives me absolutely insane, but it kind of reminds me of that when people are like, no, 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 no. If I can just stop drinking, I'll be fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just the alcohol. I don't yeah. need to yeah. like, I'm a great person. Yep. Yeah. You should see me sober. I'm a great person. Yeah. I'm like, just to let you know, you drunk or not. Yeah. I'm not saying you, but like people, <laughs> like, yeah, I know what you like, mean. Like, if you hit your wife, you hit your wife. Yeah. I don't care if you're drunk or not. She That's doesn't right. care. The That's police right. don't care. Yeah. Nobody cares yeah. if you were drunk or sober. Like, you are that guy that did that thing. Yeah. And especially when it comes to a lot of 
in in like 12 step program we'll talk about character mm-hmm. defects and stuff like that like yeah. that's that's a very brutally honest appraisal of yourself mm-hmm. to say oh yeah this yeah. i'm my problem yeah like that's that's a yeah. that's a bitter pill to swallow. Alcohol lowered my inhibitions so that I acted out the uh, the character flaws that were already down there. You know, they, I yeah. I brought, it brought out the ugly side of me or allowed it to come out, but it was there already. You know, yeah. uh, there was things that needed to be dealt with, and so uh, alcohol only made them worse. <laughs> yeah, you it know, just allows just... you to escape from the healing work. That's you know, true. like so often because I know, and we've kind of talked about this, like. I haven't had addiction recovery, but I have had other means of escaping yeah. <laughs> in my own life. Like, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's all the same thing. It's just a, a means of coping in some way to provide yep. some sort of yep. escape from having to heal or having to acknowledge what's going on. You know, like it, mm-hmm. it serves to just distract you essentially, whether it's substances or behaviors, like as you're talking about the relationship with the, I'm, I'm just thinking about how that relates to people who like self-harm, you know, that is such a relationship mm-hmm. with that experience yes. because it does give them something Yeah, and it is a similar type of escaping behavior. Very ritualistic as well. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's so all encompassing of that exact mm-hmm. thing. And even if you eliminate that thing like mm-hmm. even for people that i've known in my life who have been really mm-hmm. um into self-harm and then they like stop doing that but they still don't seem cool with themselves yeah. like they're still not yep. happy mm-hmm. but they at least stop that it's like allowing yourself to stop at mm-hmm. content <laughs> contentment that's an elusive thing you know because yeah. uh, as, as addicts i think we're we live in a world of extremes you know mm-hmm. uh and so yeah i'm either just far out crazy or i'm just or yeah i'm the king of the world and think i'm i can conquer and handle any everything or i'm just an absolute doormat you know not worth wasting my any anybody's time i can't seem to just find that i'm a regular guy you know (laughs) you know and and just i have a desire to just be a regular guy and be one of the community and there's there's gifts that i have that i can impart and share but i also have a lot to learn and listen Mm -hmm. you know so um being comfortable with myself is one of the things that did happen because of guiding light i think the spiritual direction was a good a good part of it um what impaired me i think from the healing work that you say that a lot of us are really reluctant to do was shame and Mm -hmm. shame, you know, most people know this, but shame is different than guilt. Guilt says I Mm -hmm. did something wrong. I can fix it by making amends. Shame says I am something wrong. You know, I, uh, every time I do something wrong, it reinforces the belief that I'm defective or that somehow I'm never going to be able to measure up. And that needed to be dealt with as quickly and stealthily as possible as the shame uh, because it affected my relationship with my higher power, affected my relationship with myself. You know, why would I want to do the healing work if if I, I have a core belief that I'm not worth working on, you know? Yeah. So that that was a huge change that occurred uh, from being here at Guiding Light. I like the, so you use the word, to acknowledge. And mm-hmm. I think that especially regardless of, cause as I'm thinking, everyone's story is a little different. Like I didn't necessarily have a 
quote unquote traumatic childhood that some people would have, but mm -hmm. I still went down this road. Other people have had worse roads than anybody in mm -hmm. here and they turned out fine. And like, you know, mm -hmm. what's, what's the difference of all that? Mm -hmm. And I guess the, the word acknowledgement came to mind of like, can I acknowledge the truth of this situation? And even when I think of shame in that context, mm -hmm. it's like, can I acknowledge this or am I just running away from this? Yep. Yeah. Because yeah. those are two very different roads that you can go down. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, yep. and acknowledging self-worth. I think that is one thing that I end up talking with some of the guys that I work with about. Yeah. And I remember distinctly working with somebody and having a conversation where I said, you know that you were born worthy of having a good life. Mm -hmm. And that has never changed. You know that up here. Like, like I, I know. I'm you, sorry. You have ahead. to know. No, yeah. you're good. You have to know that. Yeah. And they didn't was the thing. And I was oh. like, you do know this. Mm -hmm. And that was a revelation to them. Like their eyes lit up and they were like, no, I, I don't know that. Yeah. I've never thought about it and never considered that yeah. I didn't have to earn mm -hmm. happiness. Yeah. I like mean, it's such a, you know what I mean? No, it's not a lot I can say about that. Except that it's a really, it, it actually might be odd to some people, but it is kind of an aha moment for yeah. some people that, wait a minute, I, you know, just, there's, there's no performance required. There's no fixing required. Yeah. It's just, I'm, a, I'm an okay. Where, where do I get my okayness from? You know, like yeah. people are always striving either through performance or mm -hmm. some other way to try to be okay, but you aren't. You were born okay, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, there are people who don't believe that. And I was one of them. Was yeah. that person me? You may have been one of them. Okay. <laughs> I think we did also yeah, have that I, conversation. I had, that was a pretty big revelation for me. Mm. Like, oh, wait. I was trying I to was remember if it worthy. was you. <laughs> it's amazing how difficult of a concept that is to wrap your head around. It you know? is. I mean, like in the spiritual direction, I, I spoke oh with uh, someone who said to me that, uh, I talk about God as someone who I need to come before in hopes that he will he will uh, grant me approval, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm always considering all my behaviors. And so God must be disappointed and upset with me. So I'm going to have to wait until I straighten up and fly right before I can come and ask God to, you know, to, to have any kind of communion with God. But this person said to me, well, have you ever considered that God's chasing after you? No, that was like, one of those moments like, wait a minute, God's pursuing me? God actually wants, you know. Yeah, and, it's a perspective um, shift. Yeah, and, I, and some, some of it just has to do with my upbringing uh, and that the wrong things were emphasized and, mm -hmm. and behaviors were emphasized. And there's a list of do's and a list of don'ts. And if you're doing the do's and not doing the don'ts, then you're okay with God. And it's, uh, it, made, it made everything difficult. It made everything very difficult for I, me. I just, so the, the word that I don't like, and I'm not a huge fan of the word worthy, Really? Mm -hmm. Not at all. Interesting. I don't know. So well, like the same reason I'm not I'm not a fan of the word like I just need to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Like or I'm broken. You're not. What is the word that you would use instead of worthy? For a person Such to a good question. for a person to have some uh, sense that they um, that so they're not defective. I, I want to use the word worthy because worthy implies there's judgment from someone else. I see. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Man of the people yeah. right here. Okay, but that wasn't the question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have also... So, so I... Go on. No, that oh, makes sense. I have also, like, 
because worthy is such a deep word. Well, it's it also implies that there is a an, an upper realm and a lower realm. Sure. It's mm-hmm. worthy implies that you can be worthy or unworthy, and it's a judgment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bam, I could me. definitely see that. Well, we that. can make that judgment upon ourselves, even if we don't have a higher power involved. I could say I'm unworthy just based on my own standards. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Well, I guess we sh- I still would be comparing myself, wouldn't I, to others? Yeah. It's it's the whole, which is dangerous. The, so, and I remember, so a radical idea that, that Debbie once told me, and I don't, I don't know if you taught, I don't know if you say this anymore, if they, oh. they told you to stop telling people this. Huh. Um, I like the, because one of our early conversations was you're like, I don't, something along the lines of, I don't believe in right or like mm. good or bad. Yeah. No, I still mm-hmm. say that. Yeah. Good. I mean, that is a correct <laughs> statement to say. No, but that same thing of, am I, am I doing this behavior and judging myself? Like yeah. if I can align my, I am either aligning myself with mm-hmm. my values or I am not. Mm-hmm. Now, if we can get really crazy and say, all right, well, like then what if someone is truly evil and aligning themselves with their values, but we're not going to go down that road. Huh. Um, we don't have serial killers on the podcast, so we're yeah, good. Yet. It is true. Yes. It hasn't happened we yet. Can do, we work can do a it. true crime podcast. <laughs> but, but, I, the, but the word worthy is just there for whatever reason that holds a really strong yeah bitter taste in my mouth i, I, I can understand that exactly and you know, i think you explained it well that there's some yeah. someone else making yeah. a judgment about whether you're <laughs> you you're, you have value or not but what about just a sense of me believing that i have value um uh, uh that that i can partake uh that I can sit at the table, that I can play the reindeer games. You know what I mean? Like that I can be one of the community and not thought of as an outsider by myself. Not so much yeah. by them, but because huh? isn't that something that most addicts share? They felt they were outsiders. So the, the key word in that is felt. And now mind you, they mm-hmm. could have been outsiders. Or and believed. Very, they had yes. a core belief. But, but the same idea when it comes to value, you are still placing if you took value out of the equation mm-hmm. and you see yourself as a another human within this experience that we're all experiencing, mm-hmm. I think that at least when I speak of, at least when I think of value and worth and for the same reason of great, someone is in prison for a terrible crime, worthy or not, that's still a human being and deserves to be treated as such. I was mm-hmm. going to say deserving gets in here too. I think, Personally, the reason that I use the word worthy with a capital W is to take that term back. Well, I mean, I do. Like for me, it's about reclaiming what the energy of worthiness is and redefining it for myself. That's how I personally use it. You're wrong. But oh, I'm, I'm with that. So give me your definition. Yeah. With Debbie? Then, uh, w- so like, worthy means You're biased what? in this argument. So for me, it's about. No, I'm not. <laughs> he's definitely not i have also said something to the effect of like you were always deserving of happiness and i think whatever word you choose to use like whichever word works for you like you have to figure that out on your own and i i kind of love that you're i hate that i'm telling you this but i kind of love that you are challenging that because it that that works. It's okay if you're listening to something and you're like, "Yeah, oh, well, that doesn't really work for me." Find out what does. Yeah, it, it really is just it's it's just splitting hairs with it. It's the same. So I've had this long. I've had this question of, are labels a good thing? Mm. Oh, I love that argument. Yeah, 
Well, and it genuinely is of, I, I personally don't feel the need to attach labels, but that mm-hmm. also is because I personally don't feel the need to attach labels to me. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and exactly what you're speaking of, I have found my, you, you could word it however you want to word it, value worth. I just choose yeah. not to use those words. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Yeah. But it's a sense of, and back to what we were saying, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And I remember I used to write that on the side of my notebooks. Yeah. I think it's on my big book. I, I'd say, be bold, slow down. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Because that was the like, oh, wait, something's not happening. Something is happening. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's called life. Like, mm-hmm. you have a heartbeat. It's happening. Mm-hmm. I like that. But I and I think that's kind of like the cool thing here is to figure out what works for you. Yeah. And define it however you need to define it to really own that for yourself. Like for me, worthiness and value work for you. They capital don't. W. Yeah. Well, just quoting yeah. you. I, that's true. I did say that. So um, what? I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. Well, as I've observed you, you know, here I have seen that what matters to you is how people show up. I hear you use mm-hmm. that language. How do you show up? And does it matter enough to you to be on time? To mm-hmm. you know. What does it mean to be a good parent? What does it mean to be a good employee? You know, and and what are some of the behaviors that are attached to that? And am I doing those behaviors? So that's, you have a very uh, objective approach to um, a a measurable way of Mm -hmm. determining if you're Mm -hmm. living the life that you'd like to be living. Um, I, I guess what I'm referring to when I talk about worthiness or shame or all that stuff is I'm talking about was there a time in our lives when we just felt that we inherently were defective, that there was something about us that, in other words, uh, no amount of performance could have could have fixed. I could be on time every day and I could do my job every day and still go around thinking mm-hmm. I'm less than. Yeah. Uh, and what, what word, you know... Sometimes I ask, I I just ask people, where do you get your okayness from? You know, if you're mm-hmm. a, if you're a rock a rock star and you lose your fingers, you can't play guitar anymore. Who are you now? You know, what was in there to begin with? You know, um, I don't know. Am I rambling? Am no, I that's that, that's, no, I, that's, I the, like that. that's the very clear other side of the coin that I just mm-hmm. I I just gave mm-hmm. one side of the coin, and yeah. it is I I think. I think there is an important distinction of when I talk about worthy and value and all that other stuff, there's there's also another side of there are people that genuinely have mental health mm-hmm. that doesn't matter what doesn't matter what I say to you. Yeah. At at, at the there's something mm-hmm. there is something that's needed more than just words. Mm-hmm. And I think but the it's amazing and important that you become or at least get sober in some sort of context. Mm-hmm so that you can get an accurate appraisal of what that is. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just speak from my own personal experience. The mental health issue that I had had to do with trauma that I mm-hmm. experienced as a child. And something that was very helpful was EMDR therapy. And EMDR therapy encourages a person to actually relive, believe it or not, to relive the traumatic experience, to go actually go back into that memory and, uh, you know, by means of a, of a moving light and some, and some questions and so on, you um, move from having it interfere with your life in a really significant way mm. to being able to to file it in the right place. You know, now when I think 
think back to some of the things that happened to me as a child that were very traumatic, uh, they still disturb me, uh, you know, on a level from one to 10, they disturb me at about a two or three because they would disturb anybody, you know, yeah. to say well, that happened to a child, that's not fair, that's not right, it would be disturbing. But they don't disturb me to the point where they actually interfere with my ability to do work or to have a relationship with somebody. And the truth is that those traumatic uh, events brought upon shame into my life because if if an adult who's supposed to be taking care of you is treating you this poorly oftentimes the message a child will get is that must mean that there's something about me that's not you know yeah. why am i being you know treated this way um or if you're supposed to be defended by an adult and a def that the adult does not defend you from being harmed well am i worthless somehow we get that message and mm -hmm. um and it and for those of us who have, um, you know, beliefs related to a higher power, we also start to question God. You know, what is? Why didn't God help me out in, during that situation? And so, I must say that you know, guiding light, because it is a multi-pronged kind of approach to recovery, and because it's long enough for the client or uh, community, community member, member <laughs> uh, you know, to, to kind of stick around and, and, and start practicing some of these new thought patterns, new core beliefs. Yeah. I mean, it's helped me tremendously because there was actually spiritual uh, elements of that. There was, uh, there was, there was, I learned much from you and, and just the general idea that if I begin to, um, to create routines in my life and I become become more responsible and even if I don't feel like it I show up and I do what I'm supposed to do that automatically actually begins to build in me a confidence that I you know what I can do this you know I, I'm not that person that I thought I was so uh, it's you gonna say it Doug it's it's a is a combination oh belief follows behavior that's that I, 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 I guess that yeah. that's exactly behavior. yeah yeah I zoned out <laughs> so, um, yeah, I kind of love that. Like, I know we've we've talked a little bit about the varied approach, or like you know the holistic approach that mm -hmm. Guiding Light is an organization takes. But I mean, not more than anybody, but like in a deeper sense, I think you kind of embody how important that is because you did have sobriety, which is typically mm -hmm. seen as the gold standard yeah. of recovery, yeah. but you still didn't have recovery. Yeah. You had abstinence, like you yeah. said, but you didn't feel better. No, and, and family members and friends would look at me and say, well, you seem to tell us that, that this program you're involved in, in this case AA, is, is supposed to help you, but you're still behaving the same way towards us, you know? Yeah. Because when people look at us, they don't say, oh, he's acting out of his alcoholism or his heroin addiction or whatever it is. They just say he's being a jackass again. You know, that's that's what they think. Yeah. You know, it's, like you said, the law doesn't say, you know, this person committed a crime while under the influence. They just say he committed a crime. You know, when yeah. you read the when you read the papers, somebody robbed a bank. They don't say somebody robbed a bank because they were high on meth. You know, we yeah. they don't I, care about that. I like you and you were, you were talking about as far as like hearing change the practice of it. And mm -hmm. I like because we, and I'll speak for myself, but I practiced my addiction. I practiced <laughs> oh, yeah. my That's alcoholism. I knew what to do. Mm -hmm. And it's so, and I did that for a long, long time. Yeah. And it's, I just love it. So I like fireworks. 
I like my life was chaotic and ba 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 ba, and you know recovery to to learn of just like hey this life's gonna be it's 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 not gonna be a very like dazzling show all mm-hmm. the time it's like yeah as you start like can you show up on time yeah well yeah I can do that do you well I mean I don't all the time but I could it's that same thing of like practicing yeah. that new way of life and whether it be in 12 step whether it be in a rehab whether it be mm-hmm. any holistic approach whether it be is it EMDR yeah. EMDR like, is a therapy that that's that's a you have to practice and I know that's not like a forever thing but it's yeah. something that it's not a one no, but it's it not a one and done. number of sessions yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you and, can't uh, do it in one go yep, definitely yeah. Uh, and you know there still will be the the flash now and then in our mm-hmm. lives, but there won't be the hangover the day after. <laughs> yeah. And there be there'll be the satisfaction about uh, you know it wasn't like oh I had a wild night and it was just great and didn't we do some crazy stuff and you vomited and I did and I punched a guy and all that. It's more like wow I accomplished something that I never imagined I could accomplish. You know and it's this mm-hmm. this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there can be excitement still. mm -hmm. We've talked about this a little bit too on previous episodes. Like it's not just about leaving behind the Uh drinking. It's also about creating a life that feels actually good Mm -hmm. and substantive that has some Mm -hmm. substance to it, that has things in it, not cans of beans Mm -hmm. by yourself in a dark room, you know? Yep. Like, and I needed a lot of help with that. I couldn't do that for myself at all. You know, the police officer said to me, uh, have you have you thought about getting some help? You know, and I said, well, I, I heard about this place, Network 180, you know, that, and I've heard about Guiding Light, and my sister's a social worker in, in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and she's done some research online, and, well, have you considered going? Are you going to go? And, well, it's on my list to call this afternoon, which was a pilot bullshit you know (laughs) so what did she say to me she said i've got my car upstairs you know and if you want to i'll give you a ride you know i'll give you a ride to network 180 and and i looked at myself i said well would you give me five minutes to shower (laughs) she said i know i'm a little nervous you know what could happen during that five minutes you know and she said if i can count on you to quickly shower get some clothes on and come up to my squad car uh, I mean, it's the first time I rode in the back of a squad car for, for a good reason, you know, <laughs> and that I feel proud of myself because all I really needed to do was say yes to her, to her yeah. gift. You know, she was saying, I'll, I'll take you to Network 180 and they'll take it from there. And then what happened once I surrendered and said yes, then the people at Network 180 connected me with the, with the hospital and the hospital connected me with Robert Brown and Robert Brown gave me some numbers to call and one of them was Guiding Light mm. and then I, then I got a hold of you know, Michael Koss who said, hey, get your butt in here. You know? <laughs> and and it's, you know, one thing led to another, but um, it was the willingness that had to, had to be yeah. in place. You had to take that first step. I had to say yes. Yeah. It I, wasn't really that hard as I thought because I, I had to... St- I, I'm a list maker, charts and graphs, and I knew how to. I was going to fix my fix my life, and it was a 12 month yeah. program, and there was the financial issues, there was the family issues, and and I was burdening my brother in law early in the morning. We'd have five o'clock mo- meet talks over the phone where he was going to coach me through that, and I I realized pretty soon into it that this guy is I'm overwhelming him. My problems mm-hmm. are way too you know. And there did come a time when he said, you know, you need to, you need to talk to professional about this, you know. <laughs> I, he loves me. I love him too. But, you know, really, I needed to come to Guiding Light. That's what needed to happen. And, and somehow, I, you know, that, 
That is what happened. I I love there are the stories like that give me hope for there there are great people in the world there are people that will drop things for you Mm -hmm. and i think it's it's rare for people to you have no idea how many times people in recovery will give their phone numbers to people will say call me if something happens will say Mm -hmm. i'll do this if you need it and Mm -hmm. nobody ever reaches out so when someone actually is willing Mm -hmm. and again it's this easy yes Mm -hmm. yeah and then it's no long if you can take your hands off the wheel and just say, mm-hmm. show me where to go. Yep. Like there a lot of cool things can happen. Yeah. yeah. I sat in the Proby room, uh, which we affectionately call, and I said to myself over and over, I am willing to do whatever they ask of me because the changes that need to happen, uh, I think I believe will happen here, you know, and uh, I actually told our director that <laughs> That he could put me into a into a nice home and give me enough money to live for a year, and I would still be at the front door at guiding light the next day because I knew that that would have only been a band aid, and I would have been mm. right back to the same place I was before. I needed internal change, uh, you know, and um, I I hope I've taken as much advantage as I. Sh- could of the four months that I've been here through the foundations program and I hope I continue to take advantage of it just one day at a time but I needed it well that's a beautiful place to end right there thank thank you (laughs) thank you so much for sharing that thank you um if if you or somebody that you know related to anything that you've heard today if you want to know more about guiding light or how you can get involved um in participating in this because like we said at the beginning, it is free to all of the community members. Yeah. I'm never going to forget that now. Um, it is free to anybody. If you want to be a part of that in donating or, you know, just learning anything, um, go to guidinglightworks.org. Um, keep listening. And Can I do a quick PS? Sure. sure. Thank you to the donors. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, I just, I just realized I, I've had about 400, I've had about, almost 400 meals, almost restaurant quality meals in the last few months that were free to me, you know? Mm -hmm. I've had free food and lodging. I've had spiritual direction. I've had life coaching. I've had one-on-one therapy. I've had group therapy. Mm -hmm. I've had exercise. Thank you, thank you. I mean, and it hasn't cost me a cent. Uh, It shocks me sometimes that some men turn this down, but not everybody's ready for it. Those who are ready... Uh, it's available to them, and I'm just so grateful for it. Thank you, Victor. Yeah, thank thanks. you. Where's the info in the? I never. Oh, sub, show notes. Show notes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the link and everything will be up in the show notes. Yeah. So. Thank you, Doug. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, we're good.